of a series entitled The New Normal. And I'll tell you, I have really, uh, I don't know about you guys, and I hope that you have, but I have, can I tell you something? I've enjoyed uh, doing this series. I've enjoyed speaking this series. I've, I've enjoyed the, the study time as it relates to it. And, uh, and I, I could not wait to get here today and to share with you what the Lord has put on my heart. And, and can I do this? Can I, can I give you just a shameless promotion? Uh, those of you that are watching via live stream, those of you that are watching via media and you're in the Orlando area, we're so glad that you are watching us via live stream, but you missed a moment this morning at Calvary and you don't want to miss those moments. And, and can I tell you, I know this, next Sunday is Father's Day. Mother's Day tends to be one of the highest attended days of the year for church. You know why? Because mom will say, hey, come on, for Mother's Day, here's what I want. I want you to go to church with me, right? And so we'll go to church. By the way, Mother's Day is the second busiest telephone day of the year next to Christmas, okay? Father's Day is traditionally one of the lowest attended days of the year because dad goes, how about this for Father's Day? Let us sleep in. Now, here's what I often hear. I often hear this, that, that dads will say, why is it on Mother's Day that there's always this nice message about how wonderful mothers are? And on Father's Day, there's this message about men, you got to step up. Here's the reason why, because you sleep in on Father's Day. So here's my promise to you. My promise to you is this, is that it will not be a, hey, guilt, you got to step up. I'm, I am, I'm 100% I'm convinced of this, that the best message in this entire series, today's pretty good, okay? But the best message in this series is the one for next Sunday. So you want to make sure that you're here next Sunday. And those of you that are watching via live stream, you need to get in your car, okay, and drive 11 1199 Clay Street, you need to come and you need to hang out with us next Sunday morning. I guarantee you that God's got a blessing in store for you and you need to make sure that you're here. So today I want to talk to you about how we handle life's detours. I want to talk to you about the new normal as it relates to travel plans. Now those of you that have grown up in Orlando, how many of you have lived in Orlando for more than 20 years? Okay, traffic has changed, hasn't it? Listen, I've lived here for four and a half years and traffic has changed. There, there are more people on the road and every time I get on I-4, it seems like they've got me going a different way. In fact, I-4, it doesn't re resemble an interstate right now. It resembles really more or less a go-kart track, uh, which is adventurous, but often pretty scary. And, and it, is, it is normal when I leave my house that I have to have options because it seems inevitable that I'm going to see orange signs along the way or I'm going to see a massive amount of brake lights. It, it's, it's the world in which we live. Things happen. How we handle the detours in life, listen, how we handle the detours in life will determine the degree of happiness that we have, it will determine the success that we have. It will determine the fulfillment that we experience. It will potentially affect our destiny. And, and we see this, by the way, we see this issue of, of a, a change of plans over and over and over again, right? In Matthew chapter 2, we see the story of the wise men. And the wise men, they had an idea. They had a game plan. They were going to go see... This, the Messiah, the Christ child that was born, the King of the Jews, they were going to go and then they were going to return. 
But before they returned, what happens is this. They have a dream. And Matthew 2.12 tells us this. That having been told in a dream of Herod's plans, that they changed their return trip. Why? Because they have an understanding that things don't always work out the way that we perceive that they will work out. Life's detours, they come from, for, for a number of reasons. In fact, let me share with you a few reasons why we face detours in life. Okay? One of the reasons that we'll face detours in life is because we start pursuing our own dream, our own agenda, and, and often we'll do it in willful disobedience to what we know that God's Word says is true. Probably the best example of that in, in, in the Bible is the story of Jonah. And, and, and we, we see the story of Jonah. God speaks to Jonah and says, Jonah, I, ha- I care about the people of Nineveh. I care about their lost state. And what I want you to do is I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to share with them the reality of who I am. And I want you to share with them the plan that I have for mankind. And Jonah recognized it's not an issue where he fears for his life. It's really an issue of Jonah doesn't like the Ninevites. Jonah doesn't want the Ninevites to come to God because he doesn't like them. And so here's what Jonah says. Jonah says, God, you want me to go to Nineveh? I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to Tarshish. He doesn't end up in Tarshish. Any of us who have spent any time in Sunday school or children's church, we know he doesn't end up in Tarshish. He ends up in the belly of a big fish. Definitely definitely not his plan. But he ends up having to take this massive detour. Why? Because he knows the path that God has for him. And he says, I don't want to walk down your path, God. I want to walk down my own path. And many of us have been in that spot where we've hit a massive detour in life or even a dead end because we know the way that God wants us to go. And we're like, no, God, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go this direction. God, I understand that this is a bad relationship, but I'm going to enter into it anyway. God, I understand that this is not an ethical business, but I'm going to engage in it anyway. God, I know this is an activity that does not honor you, that does not please you, but you know what? I'm going to do it just one time. And we end up going down a road that we think won't be a big deal. The next thing you know, we find ourselves significantly stuck. And here's what I can promise you. That road, that road that is the willful disobedience to God road, write this down, friend. That road will always take you longer than you want to go. It will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will always cost you more than you can pay. But it's amazing how many of us will go down that road. And and it seems like a good idea at the time until we come to this very obvious dead end. Those types of detours require us to turn around and go back. Now we also, we face these detours where where we're wanting to do the right thing. We're, We're wanting to honor God, but we're wanting to honor God on our terms, not on His terms. God I have this dream that I want you to bless. God, I have this idea that I want you to do. God, I think it would be awesome if you made me famous and then I could tell all these people about you. Right? Maybe it's not so much that dramatic, but, but we have, this, we have this, this idea, we have this path. And what happens is we find ourselves going down a good path, even potentially a godly path, but not God's path for us. That's the story that we find uh, in Acts 26 when, when the Apostle Paul is telling of his journey, right? He's standing before King Agrippa and he's telling the story of his journey. And, and, and he's talking about this experience that he has as he's on the road to Damascus. 
Everything we know about Paul, who in his younger days was named Saul, everything we know about him was that he feared God. Everything we see about him, he was a religious zealot. There's nothing about Paul's life that says he's trying to do this for his own personal gain. There's nothing about Paul's situation that says that he's trying to position himself for glory. In fact, Paul comes from the line of the Pharisees. In, in, in the days of Jesus, this, group, this religious group that you'll hear about, the Pharisees, there were kind of two camps in this religious group. Okay, there were the Shemaiites and the Hillelites. And the Shemaiites, they were the guys who, they were overtly legalistic and they were overtly opportunistic. Uh, they were not good dudes. They were the, the, the guys that really liked to use the religious circle uh, and the things of God for their own personal advancement. Now, the Hillelites, the, the Hillelites, they just wanted to honor God. They just wanted to serve God. They sometimes got, sometimes got sucked into the business of the Shemaiites. But, they, but for the most part, the Hillelites were pretty good guys. Nicodemus was more than likely from the school of Hillel. Paul, when he was a young boy, Saul, Saul sat under the teaching of this guy uh, Gamaliel or Gamaliel, and, and he, we know this, we know that he was a Hillelite. So, so even Saul, in his, in his training as a Pharisee, he was trained to do the wrong things, but he was doing them for the right reason. I don't know, I don't know if you can relate to that. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that situation where Really, at the end of the day, it, it becomes apparent that you're going the wrong direction, but you're really doing it because you, you want to take care of your family. You, you do want to honor God. You want to serve God. But, but you're saying, God, what I want you to do is I want you to bless the journey that I've laid out. And, and what, what will happen in that moment is God will say, no, 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 no. Here's the thing. I understand that you have this idea. I understand that you have this path. What I want to do is I want to move you. I, w- I, w- I want to shift you. I, w- I want to get you, want you heading, instead of, instead of heavy, heading down a path that looks good for you, but isn't my will, and instead of even walking a path that's parallel to the path that I have for you, I want you to be down the path that I have for you, because that's where you're going to have the greatest effectiveness. That's where you're going to find the greatest fulfillment. That's where you're going to find the greatest blessing. That's where your life's going to have the most significant impact, and that's where you're going to find the most opportunity for joy. Because, listen, God has this wonderful plan for each one of us. He has this design for us. He has this road that He wants each one of us to walk. The Word of God says this. It says that the steps of the righteous are ordered to the Lord. He has marked out a plan for us. In our humanity, let me tell you, in our humanity, it seems inevitable because of our imperfection that we'll get, we'll get sidetracked. We drift. We do it individually. We do it collectively. Churches uh, suffer from missional drift a lot. And, and a church can have this wonderful origin, and, and over, the, over the time, over the years, it can get very far from, from where it, it is meant to be. And, and we can look at a lot of churches and even a lot of large church organizations, and we can look at uh, in the origin how amazing they were, and they just kind of slowly but surely drifted. It will happen with nations. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll find this over and over and over again, where God redeems Israel as a nation. And he restores them to, a, to the right place in the journey that he has for them. And for a season, they'll walk down the path that God has marked for them. And then they'll, they'll just start to, to drift, to drift, to drift, to drift. And God has to say, no, come back, come back. In fact, Israel as a nation had drifted a long way 
when we get to the story of a guy by the name of Daniel. And, and when, you, when you read the story of Daniel, there's a, whole, there's a whole book about him in this book of books, the Bible. And, and here's what we find. We find this, that Daniel, as a, as a young Israelite, he grows, he, 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 he in essence grows up or lives in pretty much his, his entire uh, older teen life and adult life serving as a servant uh, in, in, the, in the palace of a foreign king, a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. I guarantee you that at 12 years of age, at 13 years of age, at 14 years of age, that Daniel, his dream was not to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. I guarantee you that, that Daniel didn't say, here's what I, what I want to do. At 19 years of age, I want to give the king of Babylon a, 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 an interpretation of his dream. At 49 years of age, I want to give the king another dream. At 81 years of age, I want to be thrown into a lion's den. I, I promise you that was not Daniel's plan. But friends, sometimes, it is true, sometimes we'll get down an unhealthy path and there needs to become a detour because of our our own rebellion and our desire to say, God, I know that you want me to go this way. I'm going to go this way. Sometimes it's because we have good intentions, but we're still pursuing our own path instead of God's path. And sometimes God will bring this massive detour into our life because it's part of his divine providence. And God will say, I understand it does not make sense to you. I understand in the natural, Daniel, it would seem crazy for you to serve a foreign king. That it, would, that it would seem crazy for you to be in the household and for you to be loyal to a foreign king. A king who has conquered my chosen people. And yet, Daniel, I'm going to shift you. See, these detours come. Detours in life come. They come because of our own poor choices and our willful re rebellion. They come because even though we want to do right, we don't always know the best thing to do. And they come because oftentimes God has a different plan for us and it doesn't make sense to us on the front end. It, it only will make sense to us when everything is revealed when all of time is fulfilled. Peter understands that when he writes 1 Peter. And, and 1 Peter is a, it's a great place to look to figure out how to navigate this issue of the inevitable detours in life. Now, here's what I'm confident of. All across this room, there are, there are many of us that were not at the place today where we imagined we would be. You entered into a relationship and it's not where you thought it would be. You started a business and it, it has not turned out the way that you expected it to turn out. You, you prepared for a life of, of vocational ministry and you're, you're here at church today and instead of standing up here speaking, you're sitting in, you're, you're sitting in a seat and you kind of feel like God's got you on the bench. You're here today and your plan was that you would be called heavenward before your spouse. And yet you woke up today alone. 
You, you had these ideas. You, you, you had these plans. You, 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 you had a course laid out. And whether it be God's providence, God's redirection, or God's correction, you, you face a, a, a massive detour today. Here's what I want to tell you. First of all, you're in the right place. The second thing that I want you to know is this, is he has his hand on you. And he will see you through. The third thing that I want you to know is his plan is good. When, when Peter writes, 1 Peter, we know even from the very, the very beginning of, the, of, this, of this letter, we know to whom it's addressed and we understand their situation. So let, let me show you this. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. So here's who we know that Peter is writing to. Peter is writing to believers. It's probably a hybrid of Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And the reason we know it's probably a hybrid of Jewish believers and Gentile believers is because of the the, the subject matter that follows and the way that Peter approaches it. There, there are things in this epistle that really apply really well to Jewish believers and there are things in this epistle that really apply to Gentile believers. So, so he's probably writing to a, a, to a hybrid group of Jewish and Gentile believers, but here's what we understand about their situation. They are exiles. Okay? In fact, some translations um, don't say strangers, it says exiles. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, or exiles in the world, are foreigners in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. What it is, these are believers who have been pushed from their homeland. It's Gentile believers that, that maybe once lived in Rome, but had to flee because of the crazy antics of somebody like Nero. It's, it's believers from, from Jerusalem or from the, the region of Palestine that they've been pushed from their home because of the persecution against the people that follow the way, the believers, the Christians. And they've been scattered across this region that is now modern-day Turkey. So they're living in a land that is not their land. They're living among a people that they don't associate with or that they don't, they don't naturally connect with. And even in that, they are still being persecuted for their faith. Life is very far from where they thought it would be. I guarantee you, the people that, that, that Peter writes to, they didn't expect to be living where they're living. They didn't expect to be going through the stuff that they're going through. And they're having to navigate this new reality or this, this new normal. It's a lot like us. We, we, didn't, we didn't figure that we would have to navigate this new normal. I was talking to somebody this week that they, they recently were given a, a doctor's diagnosis and they were told that they have diabetes. And uh, they are of Italian descent. And they're like, man, to tell, you, to tell an Italian that he's got diabetes is like giving an Italian a death sentence. 
right? Because one of the, thing, one of the things that they got to tell you is this, is you got to cut out the sugars. Well, it's not a problem cutting out sugars because I don't eat a whole lot of sweets. Pasta. Right? Some of you, even, even, some of you out, even verbally just now groaned, some of you inside, you went, not me. I, I couldn't do it. Right? I just have to be just, just doc, just kill me now. Right? Well, no, here's the, here's, the new ra- here's the new reality. Here's the new normal. Here's your diet. Have a good time. Oh. We, we live in this world where things change and seasons change. Well, for, for the recipients of this letter, it was much more than a diet. Oh, no doubt their diet had to change because of what was available in a different land, but it was much more than a diet. And here's, here's what Peter writes to them. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This, this inheritance that he's, that he's given you, it's, it's kept in heaven for you, right? Ready to be revealed at the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice. Look at this in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I really wasn't, I really wasn't looking for grief in all kinds of trials. You know, when I went to church and, and I went on a Sunday and they, they, they preached this message about God's love and God's grace and God's mercy and, and, and God's ability and God's power. So I said, that sounds really good. And I said, I, that's what I want. That's what I need in my life. So what I did is this, is I, 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 I mustered up enough courage, intestinal fortitude to, when the invitation was, was given to go to the front and, and pray with somebody, I did that. And, and in that moment, it, it felt really good and I felt really complete. But, but it seems like after I did that, like my whole life exploded kind of fell apart. That was not what the pastor promised. In fact, I feel like maybe a little bit of bait and switch happened. And I don't get it. And, and that's what, what Peter's doing is he's writing to the believers. He's saying, listen, I understand this. Even though, even though the situation that you find yourself in maybe isn't exactly what you signed up for, it isn't what you expected, it it's a natural part of the process. That, that these detours, they're an inevitable part of life. And what's important is this, is that we recognize the reason why the detours come and we also recognize how to navigate through them. Because the natural response to these detours is this. It's the most, the, the biggest natural response is pessimism. It's pessimism. Well, if God really is love and if God really cared for me and if God really was there, why am I going through this mess? Right? A lot of us, we've, we've been around people that that's their disposition, 
many of us, we'd have to be honest that we've allowed that to become our disposition. And, and I think it's easy to get sucked into that. Now, some of us, we don't go the pessimistic route. Some of us, we go, to the, we, we go the, the, the optimism route. And just to where you know, I'm going I'm to help you out. If, if, if you're the person that takes the pessimism route, you're annoying. Seriously. Okay? Suck it up. Just to where you know, everybody around you is imperfect and everybody around you has their problems. I understand they come to church, they look good, and you ask them how they're doing, they go, I'm great, praise the Lord. But trust me, they're dealing with the same challenges you're dealing with. Okay? I have flat tires. Right? I, I, a few weeks ago, I, I had a very different idea on a Friday. It was not my, it was not my plan to, to, to spend Friday uh, in the emergency room with my wife. And I guarantee you that was not Jody's idea of a fun Friday. But the rain falls on the just and the unjust. It happens. And if, you're, if, you, are that, if you are that constant pessimist, you are annoying. But you know who's just as annoying as you? Is the eternal optimist. When I, was in, when I was in Bible college, there was this, there was this young man that uh, every morning we would get up and, we, and, and he would, the first thing he would say is we'd walk out and be heading to class, he'd go, praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm going to call him Bob. It wasn't his name. I'm going to call him Bob just in case he's watching via live stream because I don't want him to send me emails and letters. Yeah, but you know who you are, don't you, Bill? It, no, I, just, I shouldn't have said that. So, so praise the Lord. And it's, yeah, good morning, Bill. No, no, praise the Lord. Yeah, Bill, I, get, I got it. Okay, pr- yeah. No, praise the Lord. Bill, if you say praise the Lord one more time, I'm going to punch you right in the neck. <laughs> right? Listen, don't worry about it, brother. God's got you and God's got your miracle and got you. Just stop. You know? Hey, don't confess that sickness. You don't want to confess that sickness because... You know what? Every person that I see in the Bible that had a problem and they, inter- they, they interacted with Jesus, Jesus didn't say to them, don't say you're sick. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you've got a problem and I'm here to fix that problem. Okay? I'm not going to operate in denial. When I have a problem, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying, Jesus! <laughs> right? That was the approach of blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus didn't sit on the side of the road and go, by faith I'm healed, by faith I'm healed, by faith I'm healed, by faith I'm healed. He goes, Jesus, I want to see! I'd like to see (laughs) Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, right? The eternal optimists are just as annoying as the eternal pessimists. Why? Because we're not living in realism. God, I accept the reality of my situation. I recognize that you are with me even though this is not fun. I recognize that you have a plan for me even though I'm in a spot right now where I've kind of mucked it up. God's not called us to be pessimists. Okay? Well, the world's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. I don't want to hang out with you. Can I tell you something? There's a lot of my world that is getting better and better and better and better. I remember when I turned on the television and I got three channels, right? And, it, and it, at 10.30 there was the news and then there was, and then there was uh, Johnny Carson and then there was this 
Indian chief thing that would appear on the screen, boop, and then it would go off. Okay, now I can turn on sports 24 hours a day. Yeah, but there's all these channels and there's nothing to watch, maybe at your house, okay? I got to watch ladies tennis yesterday and I'm telling you what, those ladies are amazing. So, you know, if there's, not, if there's nothing to watch, give me your TV. I have somebody who would love to use it, okay? If not, then shut it, right? <laughs> Uh, the world's just getting worse and worse. Can I tell you something? The church is growing faster today than it ever has in the history of time. The evangelical church today is growing faster than it ever has in history. The evangelical church around the world is growing at three times the rate of population growth. Islam is only growing at the rate of population growth. The church has never seen a better season in history than it's experiencing right now. And the church, especially the American church, instead of being pessimists, we should be rejoicing in what God is doing and be right in the middle of it. But part of the reason why the American church is struggling, it's because we're so stinking negative. You ever notice that when you watch, when you watch movies, they'll always show you the Christian and he, he, they always paint him out to be naive or paint her out to be, by na be naive, but they've always got a smile on their face. I still want to be that person. You know why? Because we're still smiling. But that optimism that's not based in reality People look at you and they go, you're clueless and naive. It's the realist that is a theist. Okay? I have a realistic understanding of what's going on in my world today. And I have a realistic understanding and acceptance of the promises that God has given. By the way, the Bible doesn't say it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and then the Lord's going to return. Here's what it says, that there will be one last great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There will be this worldwide revival that will sweep over the earth, and then the Lord will return. And I believe this. I believe that we're in the early stages of that. I believe, friends, the best is yet to come. Even though for a little while, I got to deal with this stuff. Okay? So, so how do I do that? Well, the first thing that I, I've got to do, I'm going to give you this real quickly, and then we're going we're to draw our time to, to a close. How do, I, how do I handle these detours? Number one is this. I, I, I recognize God's rescue. That's what it says in, in verse number three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never, never, never perish, spoil, or fade. So... I love this. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Not because of anything that I have done. It doesn't matter how far down the wrong road I go, God has the ability to say, here, come on. Yeah, that's, that's not a good idea. Let me help you. Come, come on, come, come this way. Yeah, but God, I've done this same stupid thing now for the 470th time. That's okay. We're going to keep you from 471. Come on. Come on. Come on. Right? Just breathe, friend. Understand this. God's not beating you up. Stop beating yourself up. Right? Just recognize his rescue. And then, and then in, as we embrace that, then what we've got to do is this, is we've got to we've kind of got to realign our plan with his plan. Okay? So let me, let me do this. Let me show you. So, so, and I'm, I'm going to read a, a, a good-sized chunk of Scripture and, and just journey this out with me. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of this grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Okay. I love where we get to in verse 13. Okay. So, listen. God in his mercy has repositioned you. Yes, there are challenges. These are no surprise to us. Scripture foretold of them, but it also foretold of the promises of God. And the people that wrote about that before, they were not writing about that so much for them. They were writing about that for you and you're experiencing it now. Therefore, Okay? It's, a new, it's a new paradigm. It's a new road. It's a new path. It's a detour. I understand that. But what we've got to do is we've got to change our travel plan. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. See, we, we've, got to, we've got to realign our travel plans. And then what we have to do is this. We have to resist the temptation to turn back to that dead-end path. When the Bible says this, it says, it says, just as he who's called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. We, I mention this often here because I want you to know this and I want you to understand this. That holy doesn't mean perfect. Holy doesn't mean pious. Here's what holy means. It means to be set apart for a higher purpose. Right? See, for, for, for you to walk in holiness, for me to walk in holiness, it, it doesn't mean that I have to be perfect because you can't be perfect. You're going to make poor decisions because you're human. Okay? Paul said this, the guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament. He goes, you know what? I, I have to deal with the stupid decisions I make every day. He goes, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. But he said, I'm so glad that, that I've got God in my life because he always leads me to victory. And, and that's, the, that's the beauty of grace. Perfection is reserved for God alone. And so when the Bible says that you're called to holiness, it's not saying that you're called to perfection and that, or that you're called to piety or this super spiritual position. Here's what it says. To recognize that God's got a better plan for you, that you've been set apart for a higher purpose. And, and God chose you even in your imperfection. And so what I have to do is this, is I have to, I have to 
position myself in such a way that I don't allow the enemy to use my imperfection to suck me back into this dead-end path. Right? Oh, I'm just a bad person. I'm a horrible person. I, I, you know what? I try to, Pastor, I try to get up and pray every day, but uh, I get uh, ESPN pulls me away. I guess I should give you my TV. I, I don't want your TV. Uh, but I, I just try and I can't do it. Well, a lot of that is just understanding that it's not about being perfect. It's about recognizing that higher cause, recognizing that higher purpose. Right? That's the key. The key to dealing with these life detours is, is recognize that God's, recognize God's rescue and, and to realign our travel plan and, and then to resist that, that temptation that we don't get sucked into missional drift. And, and, then, and then I'm just going to give you one last thing and then we're going to draw our time together to a close this morning. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things, right? It's not with these per, 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 perishable things, uh, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. So now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, I love that. I'm telling you, if you don't get anything else out of today, get this. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. Okay? It's about, it's about walking in, 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 in this, this truth. So now that you have purified yourselves by, by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. It is, it is part of our world that we face these detours. To recap, how do the detours come? They come because there are times that we know what God wants us to do and we choose to do something different. They come because though our heart is right, we tell God, God, I want you to bless our plans instead of saying, God, what's the plan you have for us? They come because when we're walking down the path that God has for us, God says, okay, this is something that you couldn't be aware of to this point, but you need to shift this direction. And we, my experience has been that we all face all three of those. And the detours are going to come. Our human response is oftentimes unhealthy pessimism. Actually, there's, there's no such thing as healthy pessimism. So pessimism or unhealthy optimism, unbalance. And what we need to do is instead, we need to have a God response, a theistic response. And what is that? It's what Peter spoke to those that were living life very different than what they thought when he writes to those that are scattered throughout Asia, what was known as Asia at that time, modern day Turkey now. Recognize God's rescue plan. 
In every detour, God says, here, let me, let me, let me take you. Realign ourselves to, to the steps forward that he has for us. Resist the temptation to get sucked back into that, that unhealthy pattern. Move forward with the joy and the peace and the confidence and the contentment that God has you. I understand it's not, it wasn't your plan. I get it. I understand that it's not, it's not the dream that you had. I understand. This was not my dream. What, what, I, what I do today, this, this, was, this was not my dream. It wasn't my dream when I was a teenager. My dream as a teenager was I was gonna be a, 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 a professional football player or a high-powered attorney. It wasn't my dream in early adulthood. It, it was, I was, gonna, I was gonna be in youth ministry and I was, gonna, I was gonna work in youth ministry my entire life. This was not my dream five years ago. It was five years ago, actually about, about, about three weeks ago, it was the five-year anniversary of when I was first asked if I would consider moving from Illinois to Orlando and, and to become the pastor of Calvary. And here's my answer, no. You should pray about it, no. I don't need to pray about it because you don't need to pray about that which you already know the answer to. That was my response. I'm not going. I'm so grateful that the person that I was talking to said this, said, listen, I'm asking you not as your friend, but as the number two person in this organization called the Assemblies of God, the, the overarching organization that, that provides accountability for our church. Even though we're an independent church, we've got this overarching organization that, that actually, they're who credentials me. I'm an Assemblies of God minister. So the number two guy in this massive organization that signs my little card that says, okay, you can officially call yourself a pastor, said, look, I'm not asking you as your friend. I'm asking you as the assistant general superintendent of the Assemblies of God to pray about this. I said, fine, I will pray, but it's going to take more than a burning bush that's not consumed because I'm telling you I'm not going. That was the conversation that we had. And I prayed about it, but I told God, I said, God, I'm going to pray about it because I told Alton Garrison, Brother Garrison, that I'll pray about it. But God, I just want you to know I'm not going. And you know what I found is this, is God didn't beat me up. Here's what God said. God said, okay, Ed, okay, I get it. And he just kind of slowly but surely kind of dealt with my heart, right? It was uh, middle of July that the gentleman who was serving as the interim pastor here at the time, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Bob Roden, gave me a call. He said, hey, you want to talk to you about it? I said, Dr. Roden, I appreciate your call. I just want to let you know I'm not your guy. And he goes, I get it, but let's talk. A couple weeks later, I was in Orlando for a meeting and, and we, had, we had dessert. And he said, I get it. I get that you're not interested. He goes, but how about this? How about you just come preach one time? Not as a candidate, not as a, 
So in September of 2013, I came and I preached. And I, could, I, I will tell you this. The first time that I stood on this platform in September, September of 2013, uh, I knew that I knew that I knew that I was not going to be your pastor. <laughs> uh, no doubt. Right? But God said, Ed, here's what I need you to do. I just need you to, I just need you to shift. I, I was in a church that was growing. It was financially secure. We're in a very different place here than we were five years ago. The greatest gift that God has given me is my salvation. The second greatest gift that God has given me is my family. The third greatest gift and the greatest gift of my ministry experience has been Calvary. And I think about, I think about this. I think about how easily I could have missed it, right? Because I'm like, no, this is the path that I'm supposed to be on. And you're here today and God's nudging you going that path that you're on it's, it's, it's a path that's fueled out of rebellion no that path that you're on it's well intentioned but it's your dream for you not my dream for you listen that path that you've been on you've been walking the journey that I have for you but the journey that I have for you now it's got a curve to it trust me in it that's why God brought you here today. That's why God, th th those of you that are watching via live stream today, that's why you're watching this morning. And the most important thing you can do is this, is go, okay, God, you're in charge of my journey. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.